Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Oftentimes we have a tendency in our thoughts to kind of separate the... Um, I don't necessarily like the wording, but the way a lot of people would phrase it would be to say the sacred and the secular, right? We, we kind of have this compartment in our mind where we think about the things of the Lord, the thing, you know, coming to church, reading the Bible, praying, those kinds of things. And then we have this other, usually much larger compartment in our mind where we think about the things of the world and we think about the things we want to accomplish and we think about our job and we think about our relationships and all those things. But what God's Word does for the believer is it says those aren't these two separate compartments, but rather everything you do is to be done unto the Lord. You see, everything you do is to be done in the fear of God. And the way it does that is not by, not by taking the sacred things and lowering them down to the level of the secular, but rather by taking the secular things and lifting them up to the level of the sacred. So that in the, in the future weeks as we continue on here in Ephesians 5, it's going to talk about regular relationships that everybody has, husbands and wives, and how that relationship can be something that glorifies the Lord. It's going to talk about children and parents. It's going to talk about, like I said, about uh, employees and employers, servants and masters, and how that relationship can be something that glorifies the Lord. And everything else that you do can be done just as as something fleshly, which would be secular and, and routine and that kind of thing, or it can be done unto the Lord. It can be done in the fear of God. And... And so that's our, that's our responsibility. Our responsibility is to do everything we do with a focus on the Lord. Not just Sunday morning, but all day on Sunday, all day on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Right? Every day of the week, everything we do with a, with a focus on the Lord and who he is. And when, when you consider why we have that duty and that responsibility. Here, you know, it tells us to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God. And, and the God that it's talking about, you know, let's, let's be clear here, because a lot of times what we do is we talk about God, and we sort of have this conception in our mind of who God is. And oftentimes, what, what people most often do is the conception that they have of God winds up being very much like themselves. They assume that the things that they like and dislike, those must be the things God likes and dislikes. They assume that the way they think about things, that must be the way God thinks about things. And rather than people trying to conform themselves and their wills to the will of God, we wind up making a God out of our own imagination that conforms to us and conforms to to who we are so that we can be justified in ourselves. Okay? But when the Bible talks about God, it's talking about a 
you could say a person, a person who really exists. And just like any other person, you can't just assume that God is what you want him to be. You don't do that with other people, I hope. Um, they are who they are, right? Whether, whether that's who you want them to be or not, that's who they are. And when you're, when you're in a relationship with a person, you want to find out who that person is. Right? Now, sometimes, because of sin, we try and do that with other people, too, and we try and conform them. Uh, you know, sometimes we'll come up with, a, with an image of what we think a person ought to be and get them to, to conform to that. But hopefully you, you learned, and, and uh, it doesn't take too long most of the time to learn. That doesn't work. Right? People are who they are, and God is who he is. And when we talk about God, we're not just talking about some, some force out there that just sort of embodies whatever people want God to be. We're not talking about just some general God of, of which, you know, all, all religions have some little piece. That's what, that's what a lot of people think is that, you know, this religion sees one piece of who God is and this religion sees another piece of who God is and, and God's really all of it. You know, we're not talking about the, the moon god Allah that the Muslims worship. We're not talking about the 300 million gods of Hinduism. We're not talking about all of the various gods that, that people call God and, and worship. We're talking about the God who created everything. We're talking about the God of the Bible. Uh, the one who the scripture says... He calleth things that be not as though they were. The one who knows the end from the beginning. The one who created all things. Right? You know, consider who God is. And this God, as you look at him reveal himself through his word, you see the power of God. You see his power in creation. You see his power as in the early chapters of the book of Genesis as he judges the wickedness of man through a flood that, that destroys all of mankind except Noah and his family. You see his power at the Tower of Babel where he divides up the languages. You see him as he reveals himself to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. You, you see that power as he judges Egypt and as he leads Israel out of Egypt and divides the Red Sea so that they walk across on dry land. You see that power of God all throughout the Old Testament as he sends down fire to, to uh, consume armies. You see that power all throughout God's word. And the, the, the uh, interesting thing and the fascinating thing about God is that with all of that power, you realize that God submitted himself to you. Do you realize that? When you see the word submission, don't think somebody who is weak that just gives up and lets everybody else have their way, because that certainly wasn't true of God. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And notice verse 5. In fact, start up in verse 1.
Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see there as it describes Christ. Christ before his incarnation. Christ before he took on human flesh and was born in this world, it says he was in the form of God. The, the Greek there is enmorphe. Um, morphe would be, we get, we get the word metamorphosis, to change into something else, change into a different form. That, that word morphe means form, and it's translated there, being in the form of God. It has the idea of the, the physical appearance of something. You know, just like you have a spirit and a soul and a body, and the only part of, of you that we can see is your body, right? We can't see your spirit or your soul. In the same way, in the Godhead, there's a Father, a Son, and a Spirit. And Jesus Christ is the form of God. He is the image, it says, of the invisible God. He is, when, when you're, just like, just like when I talk to you, I'm looking at your, your physical body, right? I'm not looking at your soul or spirit, but still I'm, ta- I'm really talking to your soul and spirit, right? And the same way, when you are dealing with the Lord Jesus Christ, you are dealing with God, right? It says he was in the form of God, so much so that it was not robbery, to be equal with God. For Jesus Christ, the claim to be equal with God was not to steal anything from God at all. Now, if you or I were to claim that we were equal with God, we would be robbing God of his glory. But for the Lord Jesus Christ, because he truly is God, it says it wasn't robbery for him to be equal with God. It wasn't, it wasn't robbery for him to claim everything that was true of God is true of Christ. And yet, what it says of him is he made himself of no reputation. Now again, remember that when you're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, you're talking about the one who created everything. Okay? You, anything that you or I can create, we take some pre-existing material from nature and we form it and fashion it and make it into something. He created from nothing. He spoke words and matter came into existence from nothing. Okay? That's, that's the power. And that was Christ that did that. Uh, it says that all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. It was the Lord Jesus Christ that did that. 
says he's before all things and by him all things consist. And yet Christ submitted himself to man. It says he made himself of no reputation. Now, this this passage there, the beginning words of verse 7, is probably one of the most corrupted passages in many of the of the modern Bibles. You understand that all Bibles are not the same. And, and you understand that there are, are many Bibles that say the word Holy Bible on them that you can buy in a bookstore that contain false doctrines. Okay, And this is one of the places where they have that false doctrine. Because often... Verse 7, there will be translated as that he emptied himself. But understand that Jesus Christ, when he made himself of no reputation, he didn't empty himself of anything. He didn't cease to be God. He didn't empty himself of, of him, you know, being God. Uh, rather, you see, he took upon him something. It says he took upon him the form of a servant. Uh, you know, in in the uh, beginning of the, the Gospel of John, when it talks about Christ dwelling among us, the word it actually uses is the word for, for a tabernacle. You remember the tabernacle in the Old Testament that God instructed Israel to build? Now, if you were to look at that tabernacle from the outside, on, on the very outside of it was a covering that was really just a plain brown covering, um, very, you know, very utilitarian. It kept the, kept the weather out and that kind of thing. You would have had no idea of the, the treasure that was on the inside and even beyond just the gold and silver, the fact that God himself dwelt between the cherubim and the holy of holies of that tabernacle. It was where God dwelt. And, you know, that word for a tabernacle is the same word it uses for Jesus Christ when it says that he dwelt among us. He took upon him the form, the outer appearance of a servant. He didn't give up who he was as God, though. He was God all the time. Jesus Christ is a unique person in all the history of the universe because he was fully God and fully man. He wasn't, he wasn't half God and half man. He was fully God and fully man at the same time. And he took upon him the form of a servant, and it says he was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, Jesus Christ had the power at any time as, as he was being rejected, being beaten, being killed. He had the power at any time to stop all of that from happening. He had the power at any time to subject the world to himself and force it into submission. But instead, he submitted himself to the world. He submitted himself to the suffering of death. Now, that was not a submission out of weakness. That was not a submission out of the, you know, the world forcing him into that position, that was a submission of love. And so in our text in Ephesians 5, when we're told to submit ourselves one to another, what our flesh says, our flesh says, what, what has that 
man, what has that woman ever done for me that they would deserve for me to submit myself to them? Right? That's, that's, what, we, that's what we do, don't we? We... Because, again, we have that, that wrong view. We think of submission as something that it's not. And we think, what, what have they ever done that they would deserve for me to do that? But the question is, what did, what did you ever done to deserve for Jesus Christ to do what he did? See? Again, he didn't submit out of force. He wasn't, he wasn't forced to go there to the cross. But he submitted willingly. And ultimately, he, he was submitting to man. Certainly he was submitting to man. But ultimately, he was submitting to God himself. You remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said the night before his crucifixion. And he prayed to God. And, and Jesus Christ, actually, you, you understand, I think oftentimes, you know, like I say, he was fully man and fully God. And what people tend to do is they tend to, to either emphasize his deity at the expense of his humanity, or they go the other way and they emphasize his humanity at the expense of his deity. And as you view the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to understand he's both God and man. And as a man, Jesus Christ had his own will. You know that Jesus Christ didn't want to go to the cross? What, you remember what he prayed? He asked if there was any way that that cup would pass from him. But he said, not my will, but thine be done to God the Father. Not my will, but thine be done. Jesus Christ's will in his humanity was not to go to the cross. But he subjected his will to the will of the Father. And he did that because God knew that the only way, the only way that you and I could have eternal life was for that payment to be made in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ submitted himself to God the Father and submitted himself to man. And that's what we do when we submit ourselves to one another. We submit ourselves to God first and foremost. But, you see, God's telling you here in our text in Ephesians 5 to submit yourselves one to another. And so you can't submit to God without following these verses. It says to, to submit ourselves to one another in the fear of God. And you know, that's not the kind of fear that the lost person has of God. It's not the fear that you're going to lose your salvation. It's not the fear that... Uh, you're not going to have eternal life. It's not that kind of fear. It's rather a, a, a fear in the sense of respecting the authority that God has and realizing he's the one in authority. You don't own yourself. You don't own your life. God owns your life. And so we can, we can practice this submission in these verses in the fear of God, ultimately, because who we're submitting to is God himself. And so, if you want to look for the, you know, these results of being filled with the Spirit, again, people think being filled with the Spirit means you talk in gibberish, or being filled with the Spirit means like you see the preachers on TV and they put their hand on somebody's forehead and they fall down on the ground. And they think that's being filled with the Spirit. And all these these crazy things. That's not being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit, you want to you 
look for these things. You want to see somebody that has that, you know, that song that's speaking to themselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Somebody who's giving thanks always for all things unto the Lord and somebody who is actively seeking to submit themselves to other believers, to make themselves subject to other believers. Not, not trying to, to submit other people to themselves, not going around trying to bring everybody into their dominion, into their, their uh, bondage, but seeking to serve other believers. That's a sign of being filled with the Spirit. Now, understand that what was happening on the cross of Calvary was not just an example of a, you know, a, a teacher being rejected or being mistreated or, or whatever. There was much more happening there than just that. You can find plenty of examples in, in human history of people that have been treated that way. But the Lord Jesus Christ is unique, first of all, because you see in Philippians 2 that he was God. I mean, this was God being submitted to man. And there was a, a, a payment that was being made at the cross of Calvary that was necessary in God's plan for eternal life to be available to anybody. God is, we've been talking about somewhat about the love of God today, but God at the same time is also just. And God's justice demands that every offense be paid for. That's why the scripture says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. And that doesn't mean just the big sins. That means any sin, anything that falls short of God's glory. And because of that, uh, Romans chapter 3 tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It tells us that none are righteous, no, not one. And in God's system of justice, what we deserve because of sin, and we've all sinned, is death. And that's beyond just physical death. You know, the scripture describes not just physical death, but a second death in the lake of fire. A, a, an eternity apart from God in torment. God's justice is so high that even the smallest of offenses requires that justice to be paid. And if God was going to give anybody eternal life, if God was going to forgive anybody's sins, there had to be a payment that was made that was equal to what God's justice demanded for sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, the, the suffering that he suffered at the hands of men, the beatings he received, those kinds of things, that was actually a, a very small part of what he actually suffered on the cross of Calvary because the scripture says that he suffered the judgment of God. Now, how could God take his son, who had never sinned, and judge him? And it was because what God did was he took the sins of mankind, he took your sins and my sins, and put them upon Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 says that God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He, if you want to think of it this way, became sin. 
He became the embodiment of the sin of mankind and received from God the judgment that was due that sin. What Jesus Christ suffered on the cross of Calvary was not for his own sin. It was for our sins, for what what we've done. And you want to talk about somebody submitting themselves. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ did. And he paid the price. He paid the price for your sin. He paid everything that you owe to God because of sin. He was buried. And burial in the Bible is done to put something out of sight. And he bore that sin in his flesh. He suffered the judgment of God. And when they took the body down from the cross, they laid it in the tomb. But it didn't stay in the tomb because three days later, Christ rose from the dead. Now, when he rose from the dead, he wasn't bearing sin anymore. You see, the sin, symbolically, was left out of God's sight. And Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And what the scripture says is the exact opposite of what religion says. Religion says, they pull out their list and they say, you do these, these things and you will earn eternal life. And what the scripture says, it says you can't do anything. It says don't do anything. In fact, it says stop doing things. It says repent from dead works. Stop doing things and instead trust that what Christ did was enough. How could anything that I do add in any way to what Christ accomplished? I mean, if, if what Christ did can't save me, there's nothing I'm going to do that's going to save me. And Jesus Christ did the work. Our part is trust in what he did. Trust in what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished for us. And that's grace. See, grace is not something you work in order to get. Grace is something that's given freely. The scripture says that It's by grace that we're saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. And if you've never received that gift, God God offers it to you. He wants to give you the gift. But like any gift, in order for the gift to become yours, you you have to reach out and take it. You have to receive it. And you do that simply by trusting in what Christ did for you on the cross of Calvary. To stop trusting in yourself, and your works, and anything you can do to save yourself, to stop trusting in religion and and rituals and all those things, and trust what Christ did, and and trust that that was enough. And so if you've never received that gift, you don't have to walk an, an aisle, you don't have to fill out a card, you don't have to pray a prayer, but if you believe that message from God's word, if you believe that Christ made the complete payment, In his death, burial, and resurrection, he did everything that was necessary for your eternal life. And you trust that, you have eternal life. See? And and, uh, I just invite you to think about these things. And if you've never received that gift, don't delay. Again, it's not something where you have to wait until you've uh, cleaned up your life or or achieved some level of of fleshly righteousness or, or anything like that. It's a gift you just simply receive by faith. And, uh, you know, certainly if you, if you receive that gift, I'd, I'd like to talk to you. I'd like to know about it and, and rejoice in that. Um, but 
Again, there's no aisle you have to walk or, or work you have to do in order to receive it. You simply have to believe what God's word says about what Christ accomplished. And let's close there with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the complete payment that you made for us. We thank you that you, out of love, were willing to submit yourself to us. Such an unheard of thing that an omnipotent God would submit himself to his own creation. And we thank you for that provision that you made. And we pray that, that uh, we would be faithful in making that known to others and in letting your grace to, to work in us, that we would see this fruit that we're talking about, this filling of the Spirit, and that we wouldn't go around trying to bring people into bondage and, and into our dominion, but rather we would submit ourselves one to another as we fear you, as we respect your authority and who you are. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.